Hi listeners and welcome to the David Crit podcast. My name is Brett Lawton and today I'm speaking to Gary Herson. Gary is a self-published author, photographer and life coach. Gary is motivated by the realization that the next generation of entrepreneurs, creatives and dreamers are our future. He passionately believes in the power of the creative imagination and the need for goal setting. He combines these elements and the need for grit into his stories, his online courses and his workshops in order to help the youth along on their journey. On this episode of the Dave Recruit podcast, I spoke to Gary about his self-published children's books, The Magic That's Ours, The Journey That's Ours, and The Power That's Ours. We also spoke about the importance of imagination and stimulation, the experience of self-publishing, the significance of storytelling through images, as well as his career as a photographer. He also shares the story behind his exhibition titled Man, Machine and a Mountain. The show notes will feature links to his website with more information on all of these topics. I hope you enjoy listening. Here we go. Hi Gary, welcome to the Dave Recruit Podcast and thanks for stopping by. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi Britt, thanks very much. My name is Gary, as mentioned, I'm a photographer and imagineer and um, what that is, I've been branded and imagineer and be- that is because... Um, I qualified as a life coach and I have this um, very passionate um, idea of how our imagination plays a big part in what we want to create. So I qualified as a life coach and besides photography, I now work with young creatives, entrepreneurs, dreamers from school level right up to sort of young adults and 20s, 20 plus. Um, in helping them understand that their, their dreams can be realized and there are steps that, and, and there's a recipe that we can follow to, to achieve what we set our minds to and that is me in a nutshell but um, I am a photographer that's my first and my first calling I suppose um, one that I'm very passionate about of which I'm as you know I'm having an exhibition in Cape Town based on the cable changes in on Table Mountain that happens every year. Mm. Awesome. So there's a lot to ask you questions about there because, um, you know, first of all, this adventure of you becoming an Imagineer and wanting to encourage or inspire um, that kind of creative um, drive into youngsters. Uh, How did that passion start and what have you found the most um, effective medium to translate that knowledge? So a while ago, I've always had a very... um, passionate interest, it was a passionate hobby of mine, was self-development. So I was reading a lot of books, attending a lot of seminars, listening to the tapes and CDs. And um, in 1999, I wrote a children's book called The Magic That's Ours, which introduces children to the concept of the imagination. It's a narrative. It's about a brother and a sister that meet their own imagination, and, and he explains to them about this gift that we possess. And when my book was published, it was self-published, um, I started to get invited to speak at schools about the importance of reading and this thing which we have, which is our imagination. And um, a lot of parents and a lot of children were coming to me and they're like, wow, this is so amazing. You know, like, um, what's it all about? How can yeah. we learn from you a little bit further? And then I qualified as a life coach and um, I wrote two more books, The Power That's Ours and The Journey That's Ours. And that's to help children understand that we can achieve our dreams by goal setting. And then The Journey That's Ours is to help us with tools to develop our, or to help us with our self-belief, which is crucial if we want to pursue a goal or a dream. Having self-belief is really important. And I do this via talks, online uh, courses, workshops, um, and then obviously in my three books. Amazing. And having published 
Well, what was the reason for you self-publishing and how has that self-publishing journey been for you? So I actually had a publisher. Um, it was a publisher in Joburg and at the, we'd signed the contract and we'd done the illustrations and then at the 11th hour they went out of business and they um, told me that they could no longer publish my book. But I have a strong entrepreneurial spirit and I decided that I wanted to pursue self-publishing the book. I had everything. I had the... I had the confidence knowing that somebody had wanted to publish my book. I had um, the illustrations. I had the final manuscript. I just didn't have the idea of what self-publishing was about. But um, I was writing about setting goals and pursuing your dreams. And I decided that this would be a, an exercise for me. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to self-publish. And it was great. I mean, I met amazing self-published authors. I'd met, um, I'd listened to, I'd spoken to a lot of people both locally and internationally about the world of publishing and um, it just was an amazing journey and it gave me the confidence to publish the next book and the next book and one of my ultimate dreams was ever since becoming a photographer was to have a coffee table book with my name on it and I ended up publishing two so even though the idea of self-publishing was to get the word out about the imagination and goal setting it was also it also enabled me to realize a dream. And I've always had this philosophy that whatever I talk about, I've had to prove to myself that it can be done. And that was the reason why I published the two coffee table books. But it all started with the self-publishing of um, the, the magic that's ours. And when people ask me what I do, and I say I'm a photographer and I'm a life coach and I speak and I write books, they'll kind of see them get this little glazed look in their eyes. I can be all right. Like, what is this guy about? But... It actually all fits together because the self-publishing of the children's book led to me realizing a dream. Mm. That makes sense. So there's obviously a formula that you've nailed down that you've shared now in those books and then you've actioned it in your life to achieve the, the goals that you're pursuing. Would you be able to summarize like briefly what kind of steps you would advise? So, so first and foremost, we're all unique. That's, the, that's the, the really important thing. So I do. One of my talks is that um, you have the recipe for your own success. And I truly believe that there is a recipe and it's kind of the recipe that I... And it starts, it starts off with three key questions. It's what do you want? Development and reading and, and listening to speakers and the likes and also my own personal journey. And it's a really difficult question to answer because we want a lot of things. So when I'm talking about uh, you have the recipe for your success, it's um, what is your interpretation of success? What is it all that will make you feel successful? And it can be in any sphere of your life. It can be relationships, it can be physical, it can be spiritual, it can be financial, it can be health related. So you have to identify what it is you want. The main thing to understand is that it can change. Okay? But you need to take the time out to decide what it is you want. A way to answer the question of what you want is to answer the question, why do you want it? And that becomes the passionate driver. It's always the why that keeps us going. It's not the what. It's if you want to be famous, it's fine. Why do you want to be famous? If it's you want to help people, fine. There's no right or wrong answer, but that why has got to be really big because it's going to keep you going. It's going to keep you going through the tough times when you meet the challenges and the obstacles. And the third question is by when do you want it? And the reason to have a timeline, the timeline might change, but it's Good to put a deadline in so that you have a set date so that it's not like i'll get to it tomorrow i'll get to it next week i'm going to do it a little bit later it makes you commit to seeing out the end result then once you've had that you, you must write it down 
50, we have 50% more chance of achieving our goals if we write it down. Also, by writing it down, it takes us off this massive carousel that we have in our head of reoccurring thoughts and it puts it down into the physical world. And that's pretty much the start of it. The main thing after that is to identify the first step. You know, we all have these goals and dreams and we think that they are these huge majestic ideas and we actually at times get put off pursuing them because we think they're too big and, they, and they're too majestic and we're not sure of how we're going to get there. So what we do is we just identify the first step. That's all that's needed and then have the courage to take the first step. And then the next one will appear and then the next one will appear and then the next one will appear. And it pretty much happened with, um, for a little story with my, with my first coffee table book down the line. Um, it was a step-by-step process. I had to, it's about the train line that runs between Cape Town and Simonstown and I just jumped on a train and I started taking photographs and within two minutes security guards stopped me and they said to me, You can't photograph this, it's too, it's a, it's a secure environment. So then the first step was I needed to get a permit and I had took about, it took me about six weeks to negotiate with Prasa to allow me to photograph this train line for 11 days. And then after that, it was, okay, now I've got the pictures, I need to edit these thousands of pictures. Got a group of people, some were photographers, some were art directors, some were just mm -hmm. friends and sort of whittled the pictures down and then the next step and then the next step and then the next step until two years later the coffee table book came about so it's just a step it really is just a step-by-step -step process and just keep on going back to what do you want why do you want it when am i going to achieve it by and i think that's great because i mean it's those actionable things that you put out and set out to do and from my perception if you make like a goals list it almost seems like a to-do list and you kind of get there or you kind of don't get there but if you start with these small steps then it's actually motivates you to keep going and just achieve the next thing as you can how do you translate those kinds of tools to make it accessible to the youngsters. I mean, you're writing these books for children. The first book, The Magic That's Ours, is five to seven. Um, the Power That's Ours is about goal setting. That's for tweeners, 10, 12, 13. Depends on their level of, of literacy. And then um, The Journey That's Ours, which is um, about the self-belief development tools, that's for young teenagers, so 14, 15, 16. 14, 15, 16 is quite a difficult age because they're not reading that much anymore mm -hmm. it's all youtube and it's all social media so True. so it's quite a challenge but how i get this across is um i in the talks i have talks that i give to the the various age groups they they the content is very similar the time length varies a lot um the first talk's only 15 to 20 minutes for the really young for the five to seven year olds and then it goes up to 30 minutes and 40 minutes and um the talk is we learn by stories or we, we understand by stories. So they always involve a story of mine that includes the four reasons that we should like reading as well as what it took me to become a travel writer. So it's a journey of me traveling through Southeast Asia and the people that I met. And through my talks, um, I always use photographs that I've taken as a bit of a visual stimulation. For the online courses that I do, it also includes my stories of photography of coffee table books and using the visual aspect so there's more stimulation than just sort of the audio yeah and you mentioned now stimulation so how important is that kind of aspect of of doing something and not just reading yeah it's really important i mean we become especially our attention spans getting less and less and less and we have so many more distractions available to us than we did in the past so to be able to 
do something like actively it's kind of like a bit of a motive a bit of a motivation it's also a bit of a reward and i talk a lot about the importance of rewards in the pursuit of our goals because it really is important so just to step out of the one century overload of just listening and, and giving and and being able to do an activity is really crucial to get us out of our chairs get the blood flowing and to keep us motivated to take the next step so it's yeah it's, cru- it's absolutely crucial mm. but we've got three of your books at day recruit um that we're going to be stocking now Great. um do you want to tell us a little bit about the magic that's ours yeah so um the secret is i was never an author Okay. Um, um, I, was, I was a photographer and I was invited to a friend's house for dinner. She was a single mom at the time and while she was cooking dinner, she had put her young daughter who was about four years old in front of the TV to keep her occupied. She was watching Cartoon Network. But while we were talking, I, I was watching this young girl and I noticed how zoned out she became while watching Cartoon Network. It really, her world disappeared. It was just her and her TV. And as I said previously, one of my passionate hobbies is uh, self-development. And I got into a conversation with this friend of mine about the effects of too much TV on a young child's imagination. And we both agreed that too much TV probably stunts the growth of a child's imagination. But my friend went on to say that even though this is the case, it's easy and convenient for her to put her daughter down in front of the TV to keep her occupied while she's busy. And it's understandable. We really have busy lives and you don't really want to have to worry about where your child is when you're doing something. So I thought about this for a while and um, I decided to do something. So I wrote this story and it's about a brother and a sister that meet their own imagination on their way to school one day um, in this cave with crystals and animals and rivers. And um, he explains to them about this thing that we have, which is our imagination, which I believe Albert Einstein said it's more important than knowledge. Like these great minds that have quoted on the importance of imagination. But what I did with this book was, um, with the stories, I put in nine fun time activities. So a parent could actually, instead of putting their child out in front of the TV, could read a short section of the story and then they could leave, um, leave the child to do one of the fun time activities or work play with the child to do one of the fun time activities like draw a picture. In the book, in all the books, the brother and the sister are never described. And the illustrations are always these silhouettes or shadows. And the first fun time activity in The Magic That's Ours is for the reader to draw a picture of how they think the brother and sister look. And they never described either. It's just a brother and sister, eight to nine years old. Yeah, and then there's another eight fun time activities like they draw a picture, tell a story, make a puppet, um, taste some food. And it's just to help parents play with their kids because reading is a huge bonding experience between a parent and a child. And it keeps them away from the computer screen and the TV. I hope, you know, in, so, in some way, you know, that's yeah. my, my hope for the contribution of the book. Children get to understand that we have this gift from which to take it further is that in my talk, I showed three photographs. It's an illustration from a children's book, a picture of Eiffel Tower, and there's a piece of art. And I asked the audience to, what is this thing that connects these three pictures? And every the, the connection is that they were each the figment of someone's imagination. And that is how powerful our imagination is. Like everything you see in this office here was the figment of someone's imagination and reading stimulates the imagination we read a word we see uh, we see a picture and that helps to develop the imagination and we use it to be creative we use it to solve problems we use it to plot and plan so it's this really important part of us and i'm really am passionate about it because it is the seed from of which creativity flows so mm. 
No, I can hear that you're passionate yeah. about it. And I think the way that you've described it and the, the tool that you've created in this book, it's not just a book, it's it's essentially a tool, which is wonderful. Um, and especially nowadays, like you say, with all these distractions that we've got in terms of um, social media and phones and, you know, things coming at us all the time, yeah. it's yeah. so important to have something like that that is well, you call it a fun time activity, but something as simple as sitting and thinking about what something will look like or drawing yeah. a picture. And there's so much power in that and tapping into, um, you know, that almost that right brain activity. My yeah. favorite yeah. question that I often ask people is, what do you think is more important, words or imagery? And I think you've kind of touched on that a little bit in your answer there. Well, I think they're, bo they're both really important because obviously we express ourselves in words, but uh, imagery, we, you know, we think and we see in images. That, that's how our imagination works. And our, even our thought pattern is we think in, in, in images, but they're two, they are intrinsically connected because you read a word and you see, you see the picture related to it. So, and you, you can do a lot of upliftment and you can do a lot of damage just with the word that we speak. So, I mean, I have a passion for, passion for reading, so I would be a little bit lost if there were no, <laughs> we'd be a little bit lost if there were no words, you know, but, but children love pictures before they start to take on words. So they're equally important. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think also as a creative, I mean, you're a photographer, so you, you, you can understand the value in imagery, but then also that an image tells a story. And that's also, I suppose, what you've achieved with, with writing as well. Um, so yeah, that's, it's quite amazing how intrinsically linked they yeah. are and yeah. how powerful they are as a tool. Yeah. Maybe you can just briefly tell us about the exhibition that you've got on at the moment. Okay, in 2005, I was commissioned to photograph a project manual for Table Mountain Aeroway Company, which is the company that runs the cable car system up and down the mountain. And they said to me that they were going to be changing these cables, um, and I wasn't sure what they were, and they wanted me to photograph a manual, um, which would be a visual review book for all future cable changes. So initially, I thought I was going to be photographing a project manual. But on the first day of this two-week shutdown, I went to Tafelberg Road, which is the road just below the lower cable station. There were containers full of equipment. There were guys running around in overalls. There were these big crane trucks, and there were these two massive spools of cable. And I realized then that this was something a bit bigger than a project manual. And little did I know at the time was every four to six years, two massive cables that pull the cable cars up and down the mountain are changed. Every six years, the cable cars are taken off the cables and stripped completely and refurbished. And every 12 years, the cables upon which the cable cars run are retentioned and they're replaced every 90 years. So this was... So 90? Every 90 years. Yeah, I've, wow. never, I've never seen them replaced. <laughs> I've seen them retentioned. So I started photographing for them and I said to the marketing department, I said, listen, I'm going to give you your project book, but you're going to get a lot more than what you asked for because this is like huge. This is massive for me. Since then, I've been the only photographer commissioned to photograph the annual maintenance shutdown that happens on Table Mountain where they wow. change the cables and they refurbish the cable car. It's done during midwinter. This is like engineering on a grand scale. The cable's kilometers long and they weigh tons. The work is done on the slopes of Table Mountain, on the cables high above. And in Cape Town, it's cold, it's wet, it is windy, not as windy as summer, but the weather conditions aren't great. Engineers are flown in from Switzerland. And while they oversee the project and they work on the project along with the local staff, but also what happens is during the shutdown period, the other staff at TMAC, the aerial cableway company, um, throughout the year they work in the cabins and they work in the ticket office. During this time of the year, they don overalls, they pick up tools and they become part of the maintenance team. So everybody gets involved. So I've been photographing this since 2005, as I mentioned. A short while ago, I started to reinterpret it of man working with machine in a very unique environment because there's huge machinery. It's a very dangerous environment. This year's Table Mountain Aerial Cableway Company's 90th celebration. 
and as part of that celebration but also as part of my interpretation of what I've been photographing there's this exhibition and the reason is to celebrate uh, TMAX 90th but also in June and July when I'm photographing this um, and I bump into people who know me and they say yeah what are you shooting at the moment and I say Table Mountain shut down I'm always confronted with this look of like you know Table Mountain shut down mm. what happens the maintenance happens because of strict international code of conduct but also for the safety of the people that go up and down the mountain it has to happen to ensure that the cable cars run smoothly and the public just don't know about this thing. Yeah. They get into the cable car and they are expecting to take this four and a half minute journey to the top of the mountain. They're going to get off at the top, do whatever they do at the top and they're going to come back down safely. So this is to showcase what actually happens during winter to ensure the safety of the public. And it's hosted at Youngblood's Africa, which is a gallery in Cape Town. And it, opened last week and it hangs until the 20th of March of this year. No, it's an extraordinary story and I mean like I say some of those images are quite remarkable because they they just keep you in such suspense but it's amazing to see and I think it is one of those um, behind the scenes stories that takes place and people take for granted and you just see the mountain with the cable carts and yeah. assume everything's going to yeah. be fine. So it's it's wonderful that you're documenting something like that and um, that you've got a platform to showcase your interpretation. Good luck with the rest of the exhibition yeah. and congratulations. Thanks very much. Yeah, um, I just want to say one thing, you know, it's um, we were talking about it a little bit earlier and then you, you, you have these Swiss guys that sort of work and, and the local guys, they're highly trained and they run up and down those cables like as if <laughs> we walking along the sidewalk oh, wow. to, to the shop and just that in itself, it's like if you're afraid of heights in any way, shape or form, you're going to get a squeezy stomach just yeah. watching them but they just... So how do, you, how do you get up there to do the photographs? Are you also on the cables? Yeah, um, yes. A lot of the work is done in the docking bays where the cable cars are docked and there's platforms and ladders that we, they work on. I have access to anywhere that I want to go to with the permission of the technical and the ops guys. Obviously safety is paramount. I can't distract the guys that are working. I get on top of the cable car. I've been a few times onto the roof of the cable car when it goes sort of three quarters of the way up the mountain to photograph from there. Um, I'm obviously strapped in, the guy's with me, I'm harnessed in. And then um, last year I got trained in high rope access training where I can now walk on the cables with the technicians. Just so that you know, you don't obviously go all the way to the top of the mm, mountain. Okay. They're working about probably 100, 150 meters away from the lower station where the angle of the cable is still not too steep. And then once the cables have changed and the cable cars are refitted, then the guys still have more work to do up the cables where they have to clean the cables by hand and they've got to check the big wheels that the cables go through and they stand on the platform on top of the cable car and then I go with them and I'm allowed to photograph them but again strapped in yeah if I do do something stupid and I fall off which I haven't and I don't plan to like I'll be so harnessed in that the guys will just sort of haul me up slap me around a bit for being stupid and then <laughs> carry like let me yeah, like, like, carry on but get, uh, yeah it's very it. it's very the, the safety and security is paramount I mean they, sure. yeah it's really and your equipment do you have to I mean is it all strapped on with you yeah, how do you carry your equipment so uh, I have my side I have side camera bags I have just okay. one body with me a camera body and then I might, I might have two lenses with me um, I shoot sort of very strong reportage style so I like to have a wide angle so I'm very close up so I normally only have one lens if I'm going to be doing some sort of zoom stuff then I'll have another lens um, but it's everything's as compact as small as easily as accessible as possible um, and it can't be cumbersome or it can't get in the way of anything. So. Yeah, and I imagine you're kind of capturing like 
very brief moments? Are there like moments of inspiration? Is there something in particular that you're looking for when you're up there? So I always, I'm always, um, before each shutdown, we, I sit down with the marketing department and the technical department of TMAC and we, we discuss what we're going to do and how we're going to, and my idea is last year there was a lot more videos for social media and the likes because we wanted to make the public aware of, um, of what's going on. Um, um, so we, we have that and then I have my interpretation and my interpretation is man working with machine in a u- unique environment. So. I try and get the emotional and the personal attachment to each image, um, trying to get like the look in the guy's face when he's struggling with a nut or bolt. Mm. And just just know that this is not, I mean, we're now sitting in sort of like t-shirts and little jerseys because it's a bit cool outside, but when they kind of 500 meters up the mountain, the temperatures have dropped substantially. So the guys have got, we've all got like beanies and jackets and you're wearing gloves. Um, it's not as cold as Europe, but it's, mm. I mean, it's cold for us too. We, it's not, we're not used to that kind of cold. So, you know, the guys are st- stressing and straining, the nuts aren't turning because it's a little bit cold, they can't get a proper grip. So I'm always trying to, trying to get that angle as well. The, like, like I say, the emotional or the yeah. personal attachment. To the human experience the human within experience, that, yeah. that whole yeah. process. Yeah. And it is still that very, but like behind the scenes, like no one knows about yeah. it. And it's like, okay, someone's going to do it, but there's a whole story behind yeah. how they do it and who's doing it. I also think just one more thing is that um, I don't like the pose shot. So I'm always trying to catch them in their natural environment. And um, I must say that... One of the questions that came up at the media launch last week was um, how do you work with the guys and it's been 15 years, this will be my 15th year of photographing it and I have got a kind of personal relationship with the guys where they know, and women, that where they know that I've got a job to do so they allow me into their space but I can't distract them and I can't be the focal point and I know that they've got a job to do so we have this really clear understanding of even though I try and push the borders as much as possible, there's a line that I can't overstep. It's like, mm. hey, 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 just check me out. You know, I want to get a photo. It's not, it's not about that. I've got to take a picture with them working mm. because if something goes wrong, limbs are going to oh, get lost. No. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be, it'll be. And horrible. are you like, were you, ever, are you, do you have a fear of heights? No, no, Is it no something, not at all. No. And it's especially like up there, you know, nothing no, clouds no. your judgment. No. Kind of, it's just in the moment. You know yeah. what you need to do. You, you're there doing your job. They're there yeah. doing their job, yeah. and you're documenting it. And then also, like, is that also why your images are black and white? It's the documentary um, style, or they're not all. They're actually not all. There's 20 Im- in the at the exhibition. There's 20 images, um, and I think there's it's probably about 15, 14 black and white, and the rest are color. So, it's just my take on it. I'll um, also the weather conditions. If it's normally overcast and a bit grey then it's, I shoot black and white and I have my moments it's like no I want to shoot colour mm. today and then I shoot it but then in the post production when I'm processing I might switch an image from colour to black and white mm. so, and the, so it's not um, yeah. oh, there's no no that's awesome yeah. and then also like so your title of the exhibition is Man and Machine Man, Machine and a Mountain Man, Machine and a Mountain yeah. okay yeah. No, I, I absolutely love that title and I, I love the story behind it I must admit I didn't know about all of this so to hear it um, directly from you and also to see the images it's it's quite remarkable so thank, thank you for sharing you. No, that pleasure thank you if anyone wanted to go find out more information about you do you have a website I do um, it's my personal name Gary Herson which is G-A-R-Y-H-I-R-S-O-N dot com um, and everything, my photography and everything that I do with the books, talks, workshops are all on, on that side. Thank you so much for joining us my and pleasure. coming through today yeah, well, um, and all the best. Thanks very much. It's been great chatting. I really appreciate it.